I know your work with concussions, and actually we had a, a long talk with about concussions when we were in Canada because there was a young man there that was um, playing football, and I, I know your thoughts on that. But but shifting to the type of thing that I know my audience uh, is so concerned about uh, as we age, and even in, as you're younger, but this idea of focus. I mean, I notice as I'm getting older, and one of the biggest uh, concerns I get from people who write me, ask me questions, it's about how do we how do we stay focused in this kind of overstimulating environment where there's so much going on, and you get to this point where you're feeling scattered, you're feeling like um, you don't get anything accomplished throughout the day. So, what's happening in the brain as this as this phenomenon is going on? You know, it's actually really funny in our new book. Uh, so I have a new book coming out in a few weeks called The Brain Warrior's Way that I wrote with my wife. And in the beginning, I argue we're in a war for the health of our brains. Everywhere you go, someone's trying to shove bad food down your throat that will kill you early. Um, news channels repeatedly pour negative messaging down our minds uh, that causes chronic stress. And technology companies continually release addictive gadgets that steal our attention. According to a study from Microsoft, the human attention span is now eight seconds. A goldfish is nine seconds. (laughs) It's literally evolution going the wrong way. And Microsoft did that same study 15 years ago and said the human attention span then was 12 seconds. So we've lost a a third of our attention span in a very short period of time. And it's because we're constantly being bombarded. And so it's really okay to turn off your email and do one thing at a time because you'll actually be more effective. And then, you know, as we get older, there are other things that steal our attention, which is aging. You know, I hate this, uh, that brain activity gets less and less active over time unless you're really serious about taking care of the health of your brain. Now, you see it if people don't take care of their bodies, uh, that gravity really does come in and you, you can just see their body sagging, their body aging. The exact same process happens in the brain, especially if you don't feed it right, if you don't exercise it, and you don't provide it with the right environment, the right hormones, the right nutrients, and so on. Well, you mentioned environment, and I know uh, that stress it can uh, is so destructive for the brain. And it's one of the things that... Um, we're also, besides all the technology, we're also in this constant state of stress, it seems like, of uh, trying to get ahead, do more, taking all the information. Of course, today we're very stressed out because it's the election day. But but in general, um, how bad is stress for our brain? So constant exposure to stress hormones 
have been shown to shrink certain parts of the brain, especially an area called the hippocampus, which is one of the brain's major memory centers. And so constantly being exposed to stress makes us scattered and our memories no good. Now, there's an interesting caveat, which is if your DHEA levels are healthy, high normal, stress doesn't bother our brain nearly as much, which is one of the strategies we use here at Amen Clinics besides our imaging work is we think everybody should know their important health numbers. So you should know what your BMI is, you should know your blood pressure, but you should also know testosterone, DHEA, thyroid, because you can't change what you don't measure. And way too many people in the population have low important numbers that are easily fixable with diet, exercise, supplements, and they can make a radical difference in your brain and in your life. So there's ways to shift these numbers naturally is what you're saying. And so let's start with exercise, my favorite topic, of course. And I I mean, I know so much the research through the years has uh, just pointed to the fact that, you know, healthy brain requires movement. And we, we seem to be movement malnourished in this nation. And, and, and with saying that, what kind of movement patterns, what do you see with, uh, with your studies that uh, point to what is the best type of exercise for healthy brain function? Or is there a best type? Well, the ones I recommend, because I look at people's brains, is coordination exercises, dance, table tennis, tennis, Those are the things where you have to get your eyes, your hands, and feet all to work together. Um, And in table tennis, which I think is the world's best brain game, um, while you think about the spin on the ball, and if you play at a high level, it's also highly aerobic. So what what I, I don't really, I'm not a fan of extreme exercise. I think that actually causes too much stress on the brain and some of the worst brains I've seen have been from triathletes. Um, so I'm, I'm not a fan of stressing your body so much because you produce too many free radicals and people get sick. I'm much more a fan of bursting. So burst training I really like and I like coordination exercises. And the reason there's a little area of the brain called the cerebellum. It's about 10% of the brain's volume, but it contains half of the brain's neurons. And when the cerebellum doesn't work right, people have problems with coordination, so they're more likely to fall. But they also have problems with thought coordination. They get confused more easily. So it's interesting, when I was... um taping 
a video. This was uh, many years ago, but it was a Latin workout. It was a Latin dancing. And I had to go through, you know, a six-month program where I'm learning the samba and the merengue, and I'm learning these different dance and different uh, foot patterns. And you're right. You come out of something like that, and you do feel, you feel sharper because it's, 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 it's that, not only the hand-eye coordination, but then remembering patterns. And, and one of the things we're experimenting with now with exercise, and I'd like to hear your feedback on this, is that when you do an exercise, like I'll have somebody walk in place, and while they're walking in place, I'll give them a number, like um, 1875, and then I'll have them keep walking, knees up, get a, you know, high knees. Now, okay, now say the number backwards, 5781. Okay, great. Keep marching. Okay, now add the first two numbers and the second two numbers and add those together. And what do you get? And, you know, you get progressively more complicated with what you're asking them to do while they're moving. Now, do you see uh, any benefit with something like that? I do. I mean, you know, that is something that you're really working your brain at the same time you're moving. So I like that combination a lot. I get good results with that. The other thing, though, that you pointed out, and this is this extreme exercising, especially as you get older. You know, I've I've loved aerobics through the years, but I do notice that when I push too hard, push too long, push, you know, on uh, many days in a row, that I, I call it getting flat. My brain just feels flat. Like, oh, please don't don't ask me a question that I have to have a quick response to, and it doesn't feel good, honestly. So, I, you know, I, I I've felt that firsthand of overtraining. It's just not good for us. So, moderate exercise, first training, coordination, in and then learning new things. So, if you can learn an, a a new sport. And so I'm a huge fan of martial arts. As long as you're not getting hit in the head, the complex movements have actually been shown to be associated with more gray matter in the brain, which means more nerve cells, more processing units. And it's another thing that I think is really great. Okay, so let's shift to food. And I know there's there's this um, food-mood connection. And I'm, I'm sure there's times we've all experienced it when you eat something and you, you feel more alert, you feel more energetic. And then there's times when you have meals or many days in a row, you're eating certain types of foods and you're, you start to feel lethargic, sluggish, but just also um, kind of scattered in your thoughts. What is the connection and, and uh, between this the food and how our brain works? Well, it's actually really interesting that if you have a simple carbohydrate-based diet, bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, sugar, um, it actually is an antidepressant initially because when you raise insulin levels, it drives serotonin into your brain and short term, you really like it. It, it makes you feel better. Um, the problem is when you raise insulin, it'll end up lowering your blood sugar. And an hour later, you're going to feel spacey and tired. Not to mention that a simple carbohydrate-based diet is associated with diabetes, obesity, inflammation, depression, and dementia. So short-term benefit, big long-term problem. 
And so um, I'm like, well, why don't we put people on a brain healthy diet, which means protein and fat, healthy fat at every meal because it stabilizes your blood sugar, it decreases cravings, and then lots of colorful fruits and vegetables with about three times the number of vegetables than fruit because fruit can be loaded with sugar as well. So if you think of a plate, 70% plant-based foods, 30% high-quality protein, mix in a lot of healthy fats. So think of avocados, nuts, uh, fish, healthy oils. And with that diet, you will think better, you will feel better, and it will enhance your health over a long period of time. Are there certain foods that you say you know, no, no, stick, stay away from these. These definitely impact your brain negatively. So I'm not a fan of gluten because there are just too many people who are sensitive to it. And even if you don't have celiac uh, disorder, gluten has been shown to actually cause ulcerations in your gut. So when I put my patients on gluten-free and then dairy-free diets, they do so much better. And I learned that first with autistic kids. If I'd put my, my first kid, I put on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet because I'd read about it. Um, all of a sudden, the next week, he had 100 words. I mean, it was unbelievable, the difference. So I'm not a fan of dairy because most uh, American dairy is raised with antibiotics and hormones. 70% uh, of the antibiotics in the U.S. are not given to people, they're given to livestock, which means if, they, if the, you eat whatever the animals you eat ate or what the plants you eat absorbed. And that's why it's important to, to stay away from things raised with antibiotics, hormones, or pesticides. And I'm not a fan of corn, and I wish I was because I love corn on the cob, but it doesn't love me back, which is something we talk about in the Brain Warrior's way, is you only want to be in love with something that loves you back. And 85% uh, of the corn produced in this country is raised with pesticides. In addition, it has a very unhealthy fatty acid profile, the worst of any grain. Corn is not a vegetable, it's a grain. And when corn dies in the field and goes to the ground, it actually kills everything around it. So so if, if I had my way, I, I would eliminate gluten, dairy, corn. And people are going, but what is there left to eat? Like 10,000 things. I mean, it's it's amazing how much you can eat. And we were lied to. Actually, the government got involved in it. Uh, I don't know if you read recently in the 60s, the sugar industry actually suppressed data showing that it was sugar that caused heart disease, not fat. But, you know, fat was demonized. And because of that, it was replaced in our diet with sugar and obesity and heart disease just skyrocketed. Oh, boy, I remember that time so well. Every label was low-fat, low-fat this, low-fat that, and, and and you're right. It was it was replaced with everything from the high-fructose corn syrup to everything else they put in it. Um, we started seeing a shift in 
our bodies, our weights, uh, and as you're saying, and our brains. Um, so, but you know what you said? Just said something that I love, and it's this: only love. Uh, I think I have it right. Only love something that's going to love you back. And so let's let's just talk about love from the standpoint of the brain. So is there a place in the brain where love lives? Is there, is there a por- portion of the brain that is the love segment of it? Well, it depends on if it's new love or a, a love that's been there for a long time. So new love is like cocaine. It actually works in the same part of the brain that cocaine works on called the nucleus accumbens, these little pleasure buttons in our brain. And when when you meet someone and you're intrigued by them and attracted to them, it's just like you had a hit of cocaine. But over time, that transfers to another area of the brain, to the limbic area of the brain. Um, and it's it's almost more like heroin, where when you're with them, it just feels good to be with them. And and breaking up with a new love, pretty easy. Breaking up with a long-term love, really painful and hard. So they tend to live in different areas of the brain. Is there something you can do? Is there something that... Um like if you are feeling isolated, let's say detached, um, is there something you can do just in, in in natural ways to start to maybe stimulate certain parts of the brain that are making you feel, I don't know if it's anxious, isolated, or maybe just unloved? Is there something that you can do that might just, small little steps you can take? I know exercise uh, definitely is something that can pick up you know, some of the chemicals in your brain that just make you feel a little better. But but what have you found with that that whole phenomenon? Because so many people that I know, and especially, I don't know, I think it's, you know, people get to a certain age, their kids don't need them quite as, uh, as much anymore. Um, perhaps relationships have grown apart a little bit, and they're feeling isolated. So, yes, I mean, all the brain healthy things that we've been talking about um, and that we write about in the Brain Warriors way, it's really important to do those things. But then what, what I find is critical is journaling. And it's learning how, in the book, I talk about killing the ants. So ant stands for automatic negative thoughts. It's the thoughts that come into your mind automatically and ruin your day. I'm not needed. I'm not necessary. They don't love me. I'm unimportant. Uh, And then it's learning how to really tell yourself the truth. One of the odd things about the brain is if it has a thought, you don't love me, and it goes unquestioned, the brain believes it, even though it may be false, even though it may be wrong. I mean, so an example would be Tana. Tana's my wife. Uh, Tana never listens to me. And, and I've had that thought on more than one occasion. But if, if I don't question it, if I don't challenge it, I believe it. And then it's it's a really awful thought. I've now given myself permission to sort of be rude to her because I'm mad at her. But if I just write it down and I ask myself, is that true? 
I'm like, oh, of course it's not true. She's listened to all 11 public television specials <laughs> I've written because I write every word of them. She listens to all my harebrained ideas. and But, you know, today she wasn't listening to me, you know, because she was busy or distracted or, you know, was believing her own negative thoughts. So it's really challenging and cleaning out the ants that infest our minds and it is so healing. So if you're eating right and exercising and loving your brain and you provide it with the right nutrients, you still have to do the psychological work. And just to go back to food for a second, um, you know, too many people love things that hate them, you know, like sugar. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I know I've been in bad relationships in the past and I'm never going back there. I'm only going to love someone who loves me back. And I realized, well, I have to have that same attitude with food that I'm only going to really engage with something that brings me something in return, not just it makes me feel good for the moment and then physically beats me up. Yeah, I know. I've had that. Well, I've had relationships, uh, human relationships, and I've had that relationship, by the way, with sugar. And yes, I've learned through the years that uh, that one can knock me down. So I've, 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 I've mended that relationship. But getting back to the, the journaling and this idea of making assumptions, I assume that you were late and therefore you don't respect me, let's say. And um, then taking that and just imagining that the more I, I, I think about it and what I, what I call all those thoughts, I, I call them the itty bitty shitty committee. The itty bitty shitty committee shows up and, and they start telling you all the things that are wrong about yourself and other, everybody else around you. And one of the ways that uh, one of the techniques I've used through the years, and I know you talk about it extensively, but it's this idea of, of meditating and, and, and slowing the thought process down and clearing the mind. So tell me your relationship with meditation. So I actually studied it. I've published three uh, imaging studies on meditation. I am just a huge fan. It helps to calm your emotional brain and strengthen your thoughtful brain. And my favorite meditation is something called loving kindness meditation because it's all about forgiveness and sending positive energy to yourself, to those you are thankful for, but also to those you're having a hard time with. And it's very powerful and has been associated with more gray matter in the brain, um, a stronger immune system. And it's, I mean, we are really energy beings and it's directing energy in a positive way.